and welcome to Up Close and Classical. I'm Philip Lenberg. I want to continue on our theme of self-isolation and loneliness, which is so often an integral personality trait of the composers who wrote much of the classical music we know today. This episode focuses on one composer that has become so popular in the mainstream. Even those unfamiliar with the classical genre would recognize many of this composer's works. doubt you would recognize a tune from every possible category you could think of. Symphonies, concertos, overtures, tone poems, solo piano music, chamber music, operas and ballets. In fact, his ballet music is some of the most frequently performed music in all of classical music, both today and over the past 150 years since some of them were premiered. Thank you. 
I spoke with two musicians who performed concertos by this composer last season in Mendocino County. We tried as best we could to focus on this particular composer's music, but we also spent some time commiserating about our own feelings of self-isolation at the moment. Here's pianist James DeLeon, who played the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto with the Symphony of the Redwoods earlier this year. How are you doing? Where are you right now? I'm in Arizona. Yeah, so um, I, I'm at home. I've been here for most of the time and uh, had a couple little jaunts here and there, strange little music meetings. And, you know, it, it's like any of these group events. Sometimes they want it to keep going um, and others they just canceled. Right. And so it's, it's been strange. I had a, uh, a year full of concerts that they were all contracted and everything was set to go and then There was this one project that I had where I was doing um, these four new commissions. This is cellist Natalie Rainey, who performed with the Ukiah Symphony Orchestra earlier this year. The whole thing was that it was the theme was spring, and we were going to perform in the spring and do it in May and June, and uh, of course that didn't happen. Back in April, we moved these things to like August and September thinking like, oh, maybe, maybe it'll be better. I don't know. You know, we were so naive back then. <laughs> it has been weird. Like there's a lot of the chamber music things that I had set up. Those were canceled right away. I've definitely been feeling, yeah, that absence. That sense of absence is something we all feel in at least one way or another, especially now. And it would be no great leap to say that Tchaikovsky, too, knew the feeling of absence throughout his life. I read a quote from one of Tchaikovsky's letters dated 1876 to both James and Natalie. 1876 is important because it was the year before he married and consequently tried to commit suicide a few months later. The quote sparked some great conversations with both Natalie and James, and I'd like to share some of it with you. Here's the quote, along with what they had to say. In my life, too, there are days, hours, weeks, and months in which everything looks black, when I am tormented by the thought that I am forsaken, that no one cares for me. Indeed, my life is of little worth to anyone, were I to vanish from the face of the earth today, it would be no great loss to Russian music and would certainly cause no one great unhappiness. And then he goes on. In mm -hmm. short, I live a selfish bachelor's life. I work for myself alone and care only for myself. This is certainly very comfortable, although dull, narrow, and lifeless. Wow. Wow. 
I mean, that sounds like Tchaikovsky, unfortunately. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I mean, all, all I, like, hear about is, yeah, that it was, he was so upset, he was so depressed, and I know that that was probably, there was a lot of, like, complicated feelings that added to that, but even, like, you know, the Rococo variations, it's it's weird, because if, if someone that had never heard Tchaikovsky heard the Rococo variations, it would they would never attach that quote to that piece. That was kind of the the place he was at, I think, before he wrote it. Because he was so... I, I think he was coming at a place of also like being super self-conscious. He had gotten some bad reviews. You know, when you're in a bad headspace already, when you get totally critiqued or totally ripped apart as an artist. I can't imagine, I, I feel like for performers we're often performing other composers' works, but to be the one that's the one creating it, I'm sure as a composer it's, it somehow hurts even more. That theme of pain is a strong undercurrent um, for which Tchaikovsky's music sits. And over the 16 years from that failed suicide attempt in 1877 to days before his death in 1893, Tchaikovsky wrote many of the pieces that we celebrate today. And I'll I'll read a list of only a handful of his most famous pieces written over the decades surrounding that very dark time for Tchaikovsky. These pieces include his first piano concerto, Swan Lake, Variations on a Rococo theme. The Violin Concerto. His very famous opera, Eugene Onegin. The third version of his Romeo and Juliet Overture. Symphonies 2, 3, and 4. And his monstrous piano trio, which is one of my favorite Tchaikovsky pieces. It is really the 19th century Russian novel of classical chamber music. Somehow, in the midst of this deep, depressive period through Tchaikovsky's life, he was still able to create some of the most exceptional music. Here's James again. He was obviously, I mean, at some level, he was depressed. You know, and 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 then and there's always that question. Uh, historians have delved into it about his, you know, his uh, relationship preferences in his life. Uh, if he if he, he was leaning toward males at the time, then that was already a stigma he had to carry and hide, mm-hmm. especially in the Russian community, and. And uh, but they have they have yet to prove that uh, openly. And 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 but it's, it's something to speculate as well because on top of the depression and his insecurity, he had to hide what maybe was his true passion. He, he claims to be alone all the time, but maybe that's what he wrote. Maybe that's what uh, we don't know what what was really happening. Maybe there was a love he had that. You know, he could never admit you know, openly. And and I think, oh, okay, that goes back into the creative world. Um, he, he puts that into the music.
I, I, I love taking a work and I always, I, I look at the date and then I try to find um, written material, either, you know, uh, primary or secondary sources. Secondary sources are going to be, you know, reliable secondary sources, you know, but primary letters, you know, right there. And, and you see what their, their, their whole angst was at that and then you go, oh, all right. So this is this is probably the spring when he was feeling like this because you know they don't do they don't write the whole thing in one city, and and so it's uh, th that makes it more fascinating to me. If you look into his piano music seasons, uh, his grand sonata, which is rarely played. Why do you think that is? I, one, it's just long. I, I mean, I mean, people can people can barely handle the Hammerkrieger. I mean, just for its length, you know, or Goldberg variations. But they've kind of uh, Hammerkrieger and the Goldberg variations have busted through into the mainstream. The Grand Sonata, it's it's a, it's a great piece. It's it's it has everything you want. I mean, it's just. It has its whole form. It's just, it's about an hour long, but there's such depth in some of it that he doesn't have in a lot of his symphonic works. And you really, you can bring that out and you focus on it and you go, wow. And it's later in his life. So you just go, wow. Okay, so you can really hear that stuff. From my experience, people tend to just brush it off as, you know, Russian sentimentality. Huh. But it's easy to just, Say that, but not everyone reads into his life. Especially also him dealing with being gay and, and in a time where it wasn't seen as acceptable and he couldn't really be himself. I can't imagine that feeling. I went to DC a few years ago to play string quartet. We had the opportunity to see uh, manuscripts of our choice. So we looked at a Beethoven manuscript, uh, Elliot Carter manuscript, a uh, Schoenberg manuscript. It and it was really interesting to kind of even like see their handwriting as attached to them and their almost their confidence through the way they wrote. Um, Beethoven was sloppy and it was just, you know, if he didn't like it, it just slightly scribbled it out. But Schoenberg, I thought was very interesting because there was a measure on there and it was totally blacked out. It was like he made a point to make sure no one could see what he thought of was probably a mistake and I just could see like his that intensity and that the intense way in which he like blocked that out. I I know that a lot of composers deal with that and it was interesting to see their personalities come through in their mistakes on the manuscripts. 
that was like a very memorable experience to kind of get an insight into like who these people are as people because we only know them as you know we only know their finished works it was yeah. interesting to see their process there's a there's a distinction in music i think particularly for performers between what's maybe more intimate uh, mm-hmm. and kind of draws the audience in as opposed to something that really truly is a single voice. A lot of the Mozart concertis, the slow movements are, are, are not so much this kind of solo alone feeling as they are just really beautifully written, emotional uh, yeah. pieces. Yeah. But yeah. for me, the, the comparison I have in my mind right now is the second movement of Beethoven four, mm-hmm. which is, Mm-hmm. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's kind of in or inward, but it's also so much of a solo voice speaking yeah. when the, when the piano is playing. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And and you know, there's that kind of underlying text of Orpheus mm-hmm. with the piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But and maybe that's part of it too. But the whole idea that that narrative is even uh, attached to the piece, I think, really speaks strongly about that feeling of um, one person speaking. To oh the yeah. Audience. I always try and, and find pieces or spots in the pieces where some of that just kind of naturally comes out, whether he, he oh, means yeah. to write it or not. But it was uh, such a um, significant part of who he was as a yeah. person, that kind of dejection and extreme self-criticism and self-consciousness. I remember reading he was unbalanced emotionally, that, that he lived in fear of things that were so illogical for example, when he would conduct his own pieces, it was written that he would keep his left hand under his chin in case he was overcome with some kind of feeling and his head would fall off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're dealing with a very kind of special person here yeah. who yeah. somehow was able to communicate those things through his music. concerto that you played with symphony of the redwoods i you know we we had talked a little bit about it when when we were there in fort bragg um Mm -hmm. there are spots in the piece that you you think are particularly kind of um inner or um you know looking inward and and maybe this kind of soul voice that's speaking through the piece yeah um if you you know, and the theme of isolation and this inner uh, this looking inward um, is definitely the opening of the second movie. I mean, it's just this. Um, I mean, I've known many pianists to come and go, I wish the whole second movement was like the opening, you know? And he just suddenly switches gears and you go into this crazy, almost, <laughs> almost multi meter thing with the orchestra. Uh, uh, but and then it comes back to this beautiful theme, I, and I think. But there's something. Um, um, I think it really comes out in the opening of the second movie when the 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 strings have the opening pitzes, and the piano just comes in on, and all the bombast that the uh, concerto has that you have a single line on the piano, right? And it's just it says it all.
gosh, it's so gorgeous. I just remember hearing it the first time, but gosh, that is a gorgeous work. And then you you get shocked by what follows the, the middle. He has those moments that um, where you can really see that. Yeah, the the confusion sometimes is that you can see how he's confused too, because I, I think how he writes things as well. It's like because he'll he'll be focused on that, and he, and it's almost like is what you said in this quote is like he am I sure about this or am I am I should I keep going with this? Am I worthy of going down this road? or uh, is my head gonna fall off? You know, that, that thing, you know? So then he just switches gears and goes, oh, this is okay, now it's this. And and by the way, I'll come back. And I think that's what makes it unique about him because he, he most people would just have a long, slow, maybe a lethargic, slow movement that's beautiful and, 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 and it holds its own, but I think that's what makes it special. Unlike Beethoven and Brahms, where they would, they were so obsessive about editing. They only sent their pieces to the publisher when they knew they were finished. Right. But Tchaikovsky right. would publish things when he was finished the first time and then rework something, publish it a couple years later, rework it again. Then there's a third version with a different ending and a couple right. six bars in the middle that are no longer there. Of course, the Rococo variations are, I guess, an example of that. But I feel like, you know, that the cellist was essentially re rewriting this or halfway wrote this, this version that we all play. I feel like, I, you know, knowing this, it almost felt like, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but like you, him coming off of what felt like a failure um, with, you know, these critics that were kind of picking apart this opera. And, you know, I think, I feel like he just kind of threw his hands up in the air when this cellist was kind of manhandling his piece, rewriting things. Um, you know, even his editor was like, what's going on? Like, what's happening here? And I, I feel like he was like, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> it is what it is kind of thing.
he wrote his first piano concerto within, uh, I don't know, a year and a half before his cello concerto right. was published. And, uh, and then within two years of that, I think he wrote a second concerto or his violin concerto. I can't quite remember. And, and there, it's so compact when he started writing all of these concertos. Uh, and, also, and, how are you doing that? It's crazy. Right. I mean, aside from, you know, the fourth symphony that was also finished the same year. And as that one's so period. amazing. And, you know, the, the kind of joke is that Tchaikovsky wrote three symphonies, the fourth, fifth, and sixth. Wait, what, wait, the fourth, fifth, oh, got it, got it. Because I, I actually, like, realized, yeah, what are the first three? Right. <laughs> so true. I don't think I've thought about that. Those are the those are the Tchaikovsky symphonies. Oh, that sorry, wrote. Tchaikovsky. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Peter. <laughs> His concertos, I think, at least the first piano concerto, the violin concerto, and the rococo variations, he was told by the performers that they're unplayable. Right. right. And so you know that he had a lot of advice or took a lot of criticism and tried to change things before he finally published them and probably waited after the premieres and said, okay, I need to kind of alter this or this didn't work or the audience hated this. So I can't ever look at it again. Right. I, I wonder, you know, I know that he had these, like, close relationships, especially with Fitzenhagen. Natalie is referring there to Wilhelm Fitzenhagen, or Fitzenhagen, auf Deutsch. He was a German cellist who premiered Tchaikovsky's Rococo Variations. It just seems, as I'm reading about that relationship, it almost seems so unhealthy. Like, I know a lot of composers have these close relationships with performers, but, um, you know it always at the end of the day ends up being still the voice of the composer. And somehow with this one, it felt like he just, the cellist just kind of took his own liberties. And um, I don't know, even without kind of consulting, I guess, with Tchaikovsky, but you know, maybe, maybe a lot of these relationships were somewhat like that and that there was um, this toxicity in the performer composer kind of relationship. I know it's complicated. It's super complicated. I'm sure whatever he wrote would be playable now. I feel like, you know, things are getting pushed and pushed and pushed. But I, you know, I will say I do like, and maybe because I just know the Rococo variations as this version, I like how it ended up. It was, you know, it's great. It flows. It flows. It does flow. It, yeah, I guess, you know, he does know how to play cello. So <laughs> yeah, it did work out. It did work out for us.
first time I worked on it, I was maybe a junior in college. And I felt like I came out like a different cellist. Um, there's something, yeah, something about this one. It's just, I think it really utilizes the full range of it, the way, I mean, with I think because there's some variations, there's so many different styles of playing. So you're kind of uh, practicing all of these different techniques all within one, one piece. But I definitely felt different after coming out of that one. I was like thankful in that way. Um, different how you know getting around my cello I think just um, he, he's such an emotive writer but then also like there's so much like technicality in it and I guess the nature of a concerto um, yeah I just and I think part of the difficulty of th this piece in particular is the switching gears constantly like you're constantly is first variation goes by then you're already in the second variation and it's just all flowing through um, and it's, yeah, it's just, it's kind of whiplash a little bit with that one. And it, it's, for being a 15 minute concerto, it, it's just packed. Oh, it doesn't, practicing it does not feel like you're practicing a 15 minute concerto. However you may be gauging your time, I'd recommend listening to some Tchaikovsky now and then. Sometimes Tchaikovsky's music is criticized as being a little cheesy or saccharine sweet. It reminds me of a composition teacher of mine who once told me, yes, Tchaikovsky may be a little cheesy at times, but it's what he does with and in between the cheesiness that really make it great. Before a few more words from my guests, I just wanted to give a big thank you to both Natalie Rainey and James DeLeon for being part of this episode. If you should find yourself in a Tchaikovsky-like darkness, you're not alone. As the famous Russian cellist Mstislav Rostropovich said, we are all soldiers of music. Just keep calm and listen to some Tchaikovsky. This show is produced in partnership with Symphony of the Redwoods and the Ukiah Symphony Orchestra. Please consider supporting orchestral music in Mendocino County by visiting symphonyoftheredwoods.org and ukiahsymphony.org, as well as our social media pages, including Facebook and Instagram. Please join me next month for another episode of Up Close and Classical. Until then, keep it classy and classical, Mendocino. See you next time. Thank you.
I'm just waiting for this to all go. And I, I've been talking to a lot of my musician colleagues and other guys actually out there, and uh, and they're just they're just said it's just all messed up right now. Oh, absolutely, it's exhausting. Uh, it's not yeah. good for anybody. <laughs> it's not good for anybody. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not quite the same. Yeah. None, none of it is quite the same, and it's weird that I feel like I'm getting used to this. do some some things with but it's it's like outside rehearsals are kind of the new nature and it, we're we're gonna do that we all live in apartment I, I i don't have like a backyard my backyard is the where the garbage cans are so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have a rehearsal there i'm sick of myself i don't want to rehearse with myself anymore 